And um, yesterday we had um, Kirsty at the house, and um, she was she came round to do some stuff. And when she heard we'd be spending the rest of the year in John's Gospel, her face was horrified. <laughs> How can you possibly drag out 21 chapters for the next 11 and a half months? That's not true. To be perfectly honest, and this is not pointing any fingers, this was Kay's observation, not mine. <laughs> and I know we're in church. <laughs> yes, you see, that's putting a positive spin on it. Perhaps, just for you and Bev, we'll go to Leviticus next. Well, we can get to numbers as well. The thing we realise, you know, is we're going to go through this book, is it is amazing. It is, if you don't, if you don't love John's Gospel, I question whether... Well, let me wait. If you don't love it, then I question whether you're actually a believer. By the end of the year, you will love John's Gospel, else 2018 was staying in John's Gospel. I'll tell you now, the first 17 verses could take a year. Neil's decided to find another church. <laughs> Look. The depth of what we're going to look at today frightens me. It frightens me for the simple reason I know it is absolutely impossible for any person to give a description of what is contained in the first 17 verses. In, in one way, it's written so a child can understand it. And maybe that's what we need to become, little children. And in another way, there is such a depth and an energy there and a revelation that actually none of us will understand it. That's got you confused. Well, intrigued, that's a, a, probably a better word and a more encouraging word, John. I'll talk with you. Before we look at any book in the Bible, I like to do the history, because we need to set the context. And, of course, when you first become a Christian, you don't know anything. You know that there are some people refer to things like Gospels, and um, we know that there is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. But let's just look at why those four write. Does anyone want to tell me, other than Matt, um, <laughs> Why three of them tell us roughly the same information? And what are they called? Which three Gospels am I referring to that tell the same story from slightly different angles? Matthew, Mark and Luke. They, if you read Matthew, Mark and Luke, there is, there is a common material to those three Gospels. Yes, they all carry their own individuality, but there's a reason why that is. And let's look at that before we look at John's Gospel. Matthew. Who is Matthew writing to? And why? He's writing to the church, but he's writing to a specific type of church. Fantastic. Thank you, Graham. He's writing to the Jewish believers. If you read Matthew, you won't get a lot out of it unless you know some of the Jewish Old Testament. He makes 
consistent references back into the Old Testament because he was a Jew. And he's writing the story about this Messiah who came to the Jews. All right, that's, that's Matthew. Let's get the harder one out of the way. Mark. Who then? No, not quite. It includes them, but it's a specific proportion of the Gentiles. Mark is writing to the Roman world. The, the, Rome is a power base at, at this time. And if you read Mark's Gospels, it's all about power. There's miracle, 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 on and on and on. And he, he understands that they don't need to know or they have no knowledge of the Old Testament. So he doesn't quote it. He just presents Jesus as it is. This man came, he did this, this and this. You're a Roman, you understand what power's like. Look at true power. Alright, Luke. Who might Luke be writing to? Now we did Luke. Was it last year we did Luke or the year before? Yeah, recently anyway. Who does Luke write to? Now you can tell me. Yes, yeah. The Greek understanding. He, it, it tells you who Luke is writing to in the very first chapter. Now you can look at the, at the different Gospels and one of the things that we see is in Matthew's Gospel, you know all those boring names at the front that you all skip over? Yeah, the genealogy. It's there for a reason. Because if you are a Jew, you want to know what this person's genealogy is. The genealogy told you something about the person. He traces it back to Abraham, who is the father of the Jews. Mark presents Jesus as a servant to the, to the Roman world. And he, a servant doesn't have a genealogy, so Mark doesn't tell you anything about his genealogy. Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus to who? But ultimately, yes. Yes. Adam. Adam. But now we come to John. John, the last of the gospel writers. Who is this John? Let's have a stab in the dark. Who is John? Come on, it's not a trapdoor, tell me. Yes, but who is he? It's not John the Baptist, no. The youngest disciple, he was there. John is an eyewitness of Jesus. Do you know, have you ever heard of the word higher critics? Do you understand there are lower critics and there are higher critics? The higher critics want to destroy the word of God. They repeatedly look for things that they can turn to the old Bible and say, that's not the word of God because of this. You can have fun with the higher critics because they go on record and tell you something and then God get some guy to dig something up which shows that they were wrong and he was right all along. It's happened all the way through the, the last century. Well, the higher critics don't like John's Gospel. And one of the things they would like us to understand is it was written about AD 300. And they will come up with all sorts of explanations for it. Oh, the, the, the language that John uses isn't like the other three Gospels. John's language is more Greek not just written in Greek, more Greek thinking other than like a Jew. And then someone discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls and then they discovered a community that lived just outside of Jerusalem who thought exactly like the Greeks. 
And then they decided, oh, well, perhaps that's not a reason to believe that John's Gospel was written so late. And then they discovered and dated a piece of John's Gospel, the earliest dated period, 125 AD. Probably about 30 years after he wrote it. Now, you and I can have great confidence in that. If you want to go and see that fragment, by the way, and it is a fragment, but it is a fragment of John's Gospel, you only have to go to Manchester. It's on display in a Manchester museum. Now, you're looking at me all as though, what's that got to do with me? It's got everything to do with you. Why do we follow something unless we want to follow the truth? You've only got one life, and if you are following the wrong path, the wrong thing, well, you'd be a fool to carry on doing that, wouldn't you? Now, I know there's not many fools in the room. One or two, maybe. One or two. John saw Jesus. John walked with him. John put his head on his, on his breast at the table, the Last Supper. Three years he walked around and watched this man perform. He watched his friends die. He, he watched things that he'd prayed for not happen. He watched things that he'd prayed for happen. Last week when I described the river and asked you where you were in the river, whether you were ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep or swimming, life is a journey. And I said to you that sometimes I know I'm swimming, sometimes I'm wading and sometimes I'm actually maybe even out the water. But I can take great encouragement from someone like John. I was telling someone the other day. Imagine this scene. John is walking with Jesus. He's passing a Samaritan village that have rejected Jesus. What's John's solution? Call down fight. Let's nuke them, Jesus. Let's burn them up. The rest of the country will get the message and you'll never get rejected again. And then, by the end of his life, He's known as the Apostle of Love. What did Jesus do to this young man who's saying, call down fire? Do you know what? The young man knows Jesus could call down fire. He knows that actually it is an option. But slowly, over his life, he changes. Now that has got to be encouraging for us. Ever messed up? Those that are not nodding are lying and you are in church. We've all messed up. We're all, in some way, a work in progress. But you know this? Look at John's life. Look at John and know that God will not let you go. You might even want him to let you go. But you're not getting away that easy. I'll let you into a secret. Do you know why you're not going to escape God? He never lets go. We've just sung it, haven't we? They aren't just words some guy thought would make a nice little sing-song for a church. They're right off the pages of the Bible. He will not let you go. That's good news. That's good news. Just the same as the other three Gospel writers write for a reason, what then is John's reason for writing John's Gospel? 
Absolutely. There you go. These things are written so that you may believe. And in believing, have life in his name. The question, you see, when you read John's Gospel, you come to a decision. You are forced to a point in time in your life where you will say, I believe or I reject. He's made it black and white. I believe this or I reject this. Why is that important? Well, nearly right, Tanya. Nearly right. I'll give you 60 out of 40. It's good, good, but not good enough. And what does that mean? 61 out of 40. Come on. 61 out of 100. You know what I meant. <laughs> All right, okay. I'll give you 61 out of 100. What was she wrong on, on that, that little bit that at the end? Come on. You will all stand before God. That's the difference. Right? Not just the believers, but actually we will all go before God. And as John has just luckily guessed, on that day, there'll be no doubt, by the way, on that day, you will bow before God. I want to do it here. Well, he forces a belief. The other three Gospels want you to believe, and the question is best presented how they write it. Can you put the first passage up? We're not going to spend any time in the, in the first few passages. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. This is just a week or so ahead of the crucifixion. He's coming for the Passover. He is the Passover lamb. And he raises this question. Some people in the crowd are, are praising God. But that's the question. Some of them are asking, who is this? Who is it? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Well, they're right, but they're not fully right, are they? Because if he's only a prophet, he's just a man or a woman. And that's not going to save you. A prophet never saved anybody. All right, let's have a look at another gospel writer. Mark chapter 4. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Don't you think this is great? You've got experienced fishermen in a boat and they're going to wake a carpenter up. I thought that was funny. Come on, work with me. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, and the disciples woke him, up, woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? What are you going to do, build another boat, a bigger one? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm, and this is what they decide. 
He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. Not just a little bit, oh, I'm a bit scared. They were terrified. And they asked each other, they didn't ask him, by the way, who is this? Now on that day, the wind and the waves knew who it was. The wind and the waves recognised him and obeyed him. But his own disciples didn't. Ever read the Gospels and think, bah, these guys are thick. Come on, be truthful, you are in church. Ever read something and think, bah, I'm thick. <laughs> okay, one more. Let's move it on. Luke chapter 5, yet the news about him spread all more so that crowds of people came to him and to be healed of their illnesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Has that, has that gone wrong? No. One day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They come from every village of the Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So the religious people are there in advance of him. They should know who he is. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. Some men came carrying a paralysed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house before Jesus. Let's move it on. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up onto the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Now then, this is where religion kicks in. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow? To them he's a fellow who speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a fair comment, isn't it? Because you sin against God, there's only God who can, who can forgive your sins. It's a good question. Jesus knew what they were thinking and he goes on and he tells the guy to get up. What, what was their error? Come on, they've asked the question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Which is what, John? I know what you mean. Yeah. Only God can forgive sins. So who stood before you doing it? Must be God. Did they believe him? Most of them don't. Isn't it strange that the evidence can be before your eyes and actually people still not believe? Why? Why? Have you, have you ever told someone the gospel and made it the best you can, presented evidence before someone and said, can you see that? They don't want to know. Why, Darren? Yeah, it's, it includes that, but why? Afraid? Afraid of what then, Chris? It might be true, might require a change in their behaviour. Yeah, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, you could put all the things that we're going to say and examine in one little statement. Our hearts are evil. We're just, we're just rotten people. We're actually rotten to the core. Some of you don't believe me. Some of you are telling porkies. 
You look in your head. Say this: I'm rotten. <laughs> oh, don't hang on! Don't not encourage him. That's not fair. That is really not fair. Oh, right. Okay. Right. Okay. Back to the room. <laughs> It does show us how much we love him. Yeah. You still come when you know I'm rotten. Yeah. Okay, I can work with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, who can forgive sins but God alone? Alright, next one. I'm gonna get you, Paul, so you don't don't even think about relaxing. No, let's come out of that one. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi and on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? Lots of people have an opinion about this man and by now the crowds are murmuring and some people are saying one thing, some people are saying another thing and so he asked them, who do the people say I am? What what are they saying? And they've come up with some theories and lots of people have theories about Jesus. Some say John the Baptist, well... It's not John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others say one of the prophets. Okay? That's three theories. Let's throw it out there. Jesus will have none of it. Because he says that. What about you? Not what about the person next to you. Not about what the other disciples might think of me. What about you? And that's the question, really, for the next year. What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And he goes on and it tells us that that was a revelation from God for him. You know, the religious people could have worked it out. They could have gone to the Old Testament and they could have said, well... God hasn't left us in the dark. God has told us what this Messiah, the expected one, would do and gave us all sorts of information. If you ever want to study that, I've got a great book here. All the Messianic prophecies in the Bible. And I don't know if you know what the odds of of winning the lottery are, something like 40 million to one or something in it. Yeah. Well, you want to calculate the odds for this thing. When all the prophecies that actually come true, and there's a whole lot in that book, which are very specific, and they had the scriptures, they knew the scriptures, they could have said, this man is doing exactly what the Old Testament tells us he was going to do. He therefore must be God. He must be the Messiah. So therefore, anyone to borrow in the room, Take it away, study it, read it, and make a decision, who do you say Jesus is? Alright, let's put the next scripture up. We're getting there. I'm giving you the end before the beginning. John chapter 20, this is the verse Matt quoted when I said, what was John's reason for writing the gospel? He just didn't write it in a vacuum. He didn't, when he was 90 year old, turn around and thought, I know, 
this will be a good idea. I'll just jot, jot a few things down. John, probably the last eyewitness, eyewitness of Christ. John, one of the twelve, one of the three, one of the seventy-two, one of the five hundred that Paul refers to, is leaving us this statement. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. Verse 31, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's the aim of the writing. The Son of God. If you do that, that by believing you may have life and life in his name. How poorer this world would be if we didn't have John's Gospel. God has overseen his word all the way through history to put it into your your hands and my hands. And I said to Kay the other day, she says, you're always on at people telling them to read the Bible. Do you know, for the first 1600 years, people didn't have a Bible. There was no printing press. Average Joe blogs didn't have access to anything like the material we have. But average Joe Bloggs wasn't under such a torrent of, torrent of misinformation that you and I are experienced too. You turn the television on and they're slating Christianity. They're slating God. The, the, you turn the TV on, you buy a magazine, you read a book. It's all aimed at brainwashing you. This isn't brainwashing. This is God, a loving God, reaching out to people and saying, I love you. And I want you to believe in me. And the easiest, you know, the easiest way, I look around the room and I see changed lives. I, I, I see people getting better. I see lives improving. There was a guy when I was first a Christian, a guy came up from Nottingham and he lived with us for a couple of weeks. And in that couple of weeks he became a Christian. And he went back down to Nottingham and word came back from his mate saying, don't go to Darlington. I wish I had that power. In fact, Wendy in the room over there, when you were living with us, people at Woodall used to say, I could brainwash her. Did I ever brainwash her? Did I ever make your breakfast? Don't answer that. (laughs) It's not about brainwashing. It's about you as an individual, no matter how old you are, having your relationship with Jesus. I like that. I like the fact that my living God can take someone's life, give it purpose and direction, as well as eternity, by the way, but give it a calling, give it a purpose, give it a direction, and satisfiers, the world cons people into satisfaction. So now, by way of introduction, we are going to look at John's Gospel. And this bit frightens me. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John has about 600 words in his vocabulary. The average six-year-old has that number of words. And yet he writes something so profound, you just can't get your head around it. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Ever had the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door? You have, haven't you? Have you got one of these? I like charity shops. This is a Jehovah's Witnesses Bible. Because if you talk to a Jehovah's Witness from your Bible, they are taught that actually everything you tell them, because you're referring to the wrong Bible, is untrue. It's very clever, that, you see. So if you're going to engage with a Jehovah's Witness, you've got to go on their territory. You've got to go on what they read. This is what they read. See if you can spot the difference to what's on the board. In the beginning, the word was, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. Small g. A God. That one's rubbish. The problem is, when you put something in the Bible, you change what God wanted it to be. If God had wanted the word a, do you think he don't spell? Do you think he don't know what that word means? He he wrote that. The Bible itself declares that all scripture is God-breathed, all scripture is inspired by God. John's the author, but the Spirit of God is writing through him, and that's what he wrote. And so, when I first met a Jehovah's Witness, when I was a new Christian, and he's telling me this, I'm thinking, I might be following the wrong thing. So, down to the Christian bookshop, 50 quid later, got one. My Bible's bigger than your Bible. (laughs) Right? And that includes Mr. Simpson at the back. And this Bible is Hebrew, Greek and English. And I wanted to know whether A is in the original language. Because if A is in the original language, why am I worshipping A God? Let me read you what the literal translation is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you'll notice in my 50 quid Bible, it's coloured in yellow, as are many other passages in the Bible. And I thought, oh, that one is wrong. That one is wrong. Let's look at what God said. In the beginning, well, your mind should go to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. When you, when you do this stuff, by the way, when you add to the word of God or remove from the word of God, what you actually end up doing then is you're having to do it in different parts of the Bible. This is not just a one-off thing that you might get away with. They change lots of things in the Bible to make it read how they want it to read. They will say to you, oh, there's no such thing as the word Trinity and different things like that. But, but there is. It's just put a different way. Watch what the Bible says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Well, we know in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created. In one line, this speaks of the eternal nature of God, of, of Jesus. In verse 14, he identifies who the word is, and the word became flesh. Who came amongst man and took on flesh? Jesus. You got that, yeah? Happy with that? You could write, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and the Jesus was God. 
Why would you worship him if he wasn't God? Is that heavy? Is that confused you? No? Okay. In the beginning, right at the start, but we have time, he doesn't have time, he's always been there, he's always existed, the pre-existent nature of the Godhead. He was with God in the beginning. Well, if it's the word, he, person, Jesus was with God in the beginning. That does not mean we worship two gods. Don't get your head confused. Told you it's heavy. Somewhere, see we deal in time, but somewhere out there has always existed God the Father, God the Son. What this passage is going to do is it's pulling a curtain open and our little minds are being asked to look into eternity and get a glimpse of what this looks like. Don't worry, you've got a long time ahead of you to work it out. Do you know you're all in heaven with Paul Simpson? Now some of you wanting to change your mind, that's not necessarily going to be allowed. (laughs) In my father's house are many mansions. Mm. (laughs) Or sheds, Paul. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And that's another passage that they construct around. They twist. In Colossians 1.16, it tells us that all things were made through him. So if you go back to your Genesis, and God the Son starts creation, this is what it's saying. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. That has been made. Wow. Nothing at all. Have you ever heard the term intelligent design? Have you ever heard the word dumb design? (laughs) It's a contradiction really. A designer by definition has to be intelligent. Do you ever look at the world and see how it works together? Do you ever look at the world and just see how it fits together and how it runs and functions as though someone created it? You should do. Who created it? Jesus. Jesus. Do you ever look at the world and think that you came out of pond scum? I mean, it's just. do, do you not think that's like defies logic? They think we've lost the plot. It is ridiculous, John. Even the concept of something coming into creation, working together. I I love the Attenborough programmes. Do you ever see those um, hummingbirds that have this long beak? And then just by chance there's a flower that needs a long beak. And you think, how does that work then? That'll do. Because if there's no long beak, there's no pollination, and if there's no pollination that flower will die out. And if there's no flower, that long beak, that hummingbird will die out. But hey, pesto, there's a flower and a long beak. It was even funnier the other week when we saw one on the telly because actually the flowers come every month. Well, that's lucky if you're a hummingbird, isn't it? Look, 
Through him all things were made. All things. Without him nothing was made. That has been made. And then, and then I would suggest we do this. When you're marvelling at creation, why don't we marvel and think, I wonder why he did that. I wonder why he did things the way he did things. Any, any hypothesis? What, any, any suggestions? Well, thank you, Graham. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was good. Do you think he might have made it just for his children? Do you think he might have made it just so that actually as you walk along... Could have all been grey out there, you know? Could have all just been bland and no colour. Well, it could, could be anything, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all the, uh, yeah. Do you know what? Do you know autumn when the leaves are, are changing colour? You know, I mean, Kay and I often drive th- when it's autumn, and although you're looking at winter coming, and she's always a bit sad, she never fails to appreciate the leaves on the trees and the number of colours that just happen to happen. Nah. Yeah. This is our God. This is our God who takes his creation and says, there you go, it's showing something of me. Gets even better. Look, in him, who is him? Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Wow. If you don't have Jesus, you're walking in darkness. He will, later on, declare, I am the light of the world. He will do seven I am statements, and that's one of them. I am this. Without him, you you walk in darkness. I once heard someone preach about light and dark. How do you get rid of dark? Turn on the light. That's the only way, actually. When light comes in, does darkness ever stay around? Ever had that? Unless you need to change the bulb. But, do you know, look, it's impossible for darkness to stay around. You, you've got problems, bring light into it. If, if you need revelation, if you need to know something, light illuminates things. Without it illuminating... You're just looking in darkness. And when you're in darkness, you're lost. You are lost. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, and neither will it ever overcome it. We live in a dark, dark world, I think. That little box in the corner tells me that the world is not getting better. It tells me that despite all the money, despite all the programs, despite all the things that the world tries to make the world better, it consistently, day in, day out, gets darker and darker. That's our world. It will always be so. But there is a light that shines. Just by way of interest, if you are a child of God, where does Jesus live? What does that make us? Light. Yeah. 
Ever think like that when you go somewhere? When you step into Tesco, you light the place up. <laughs> a bit like the disabled toilet down. Good, good analogy, Neil. Excellent. You walk in and the light comes on. Fantastic. I wish I'd thought of that. Okay. We'll delete that off the tape because I didn't. Look, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, who's this? John the Baptist. Sent from God. And does anybody remember the word that I described John's ministry of? Ooh. He's a harbinger. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. What was John's ministry? How did he portray it? He did, he baptised people. He didn't do it first. What did he do first before he, he would dunk them? Yeah, he says repent, didn't he? Turn from it. Yeah, turn from your sin. John, witnessing. What does a witness do? It does more than that, Darren. It's a good, good. He shares, doesn't he? He tells, he tells someone. If, if you are a witness, you're testifying about something. Who are his witnesses today? Yeah? Do you tell people about Jesus? Supposed to, you know. We're supposed to. And if necessary, even use words. Hmm, okay. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. That's John's ministry. I remember at Bible College when, when they went through the book of John and uh, Glenn used to say, everything is getting put lower. And Jesus is the one that's being exalted all the way through the book. John, in the other Gospels, gets quite a chunk of information about John. You're not getting a lot in this one. This is all about Jesus. He himself was not the light. We don't want any confusion about John the Baptist. He came only as a witness to the light. This is the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was coming into the world. And when he comes, people will see. He was in the world, and through, though the world was made through him, that's the creation again, the world did not recognise him. His creation will recognise him, physical, cosmos, but humanity repeatedly re- rejects him. It does not recognise him for who it was. Or who he is, I should say. Why? Why? Sin. Yeah, that's a, a great point John's just made. That actually the devil, we're told in Corinthians, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They can't see him. Yet we're also told there that he overcomes the darkness. How do we do? How do we join those two statements together? How do you think you came to be a Christian? Are you are you the goodies? You believe that, that yeah, yeah, but, but there's something else before that. Do you know how you became to be sat here today? He did that, yeah. did that. Ah, you see, there you go. Do you know that the Bible says this, that you were dead in your trans- transgressions, 
You, as a person, were dead. What can dead people do? Not a lot. So, Christ came along and made us alive. You know you brought nothing to, this, to, the, to the, the whole table there? The only thing you bring is your sin. Ah, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Behave. Sometimes, sometimes Christians don't understand this. Sometimes we, we, we in error when we think actually, along comes Jesus, he gives us a load of information and actually I respond. Actually, you, you couldn't respond unless he opened your eyes and gave you the faith. Unless he opened your eyes, you could never, ever respond. Sorry? He gives you the ability to understand, Darren. So I'll, we'll go with that. He, he gives you the faith, what Matt said, that actually to realise you need a saviour. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, that's the Jews, but his own did not receive him. And they should have received him. They could have received him based on the information. Based on the signs that he did in uh, his three years of ministry, they could have worked it out, and they could have turned to him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Ever been born? There's always a show-off in the room, isn't there? Uh, you know, you, you ask a question, ever been born, and there's one on the front row, been born twice. Test you, baby. Let me ask you a question, look. In fact, let's ask the newest mother in the room. Wendy. Everyone look at Wendy. Old one up that you made earlier. Can we have her out at the front, just as a demonstration? Go on. Come on. We know you will, will love you. She's all right here. All right. Harley. What did Harley have to do with her birth? Don't forget the pain. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> no, 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 look, look. It's exactly this. Harley was just born. Mum and dad, baby, she's the result. Salvation, nothing. You don't bring anything to it. It just happens. Believing in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision, or of her husband's will, but born of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Right back at the beginning of time, Jesus sees it all in one go, and he says, that's my child. That's my child. Born once, born again. We'll get to it in John chapter 3. Does that challenge people? Does that confuse people? Does that contradict what you've already thought? Or did you know it all? 
You're all very quiet today. Why? Trying to learn? Well, that's one of you in the room. It's very encouraging, Darren. Born of God. Predestination. You are chosen. Yes, the events unfold in your life that God draws you to himself, but it is a work of God before it is a work of man. We'll move on. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, tabernacled amongst us. There's the answer to to verse 1. We know that Jesus took on humanity. Do you know that Let's clarify something. Jesus was 100% human. Nod at me if you know that. He is 100% human. Do you know that he is 100% God? The first bit's easier, isn't it? Oh, sorry, the second bit's easier than the first bit. I don't mind Jesus being God. Anyone find it strange that he became a human as well? Oh, it's just me? No, obviously just me. He had to. Why, Matt? Yeah, yeah. It is that passage, really. It is what Matt's just said. That in his humanity, he will die. He will be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. For your sin and my sin. Um, And because he's... 100% 100% a person that and he didn't sin then actually he's not dying for his own sin he's dying for someone else's sin and because he's God the sacrifice is acceptable to God do you get that? it does yeah I mean you're not when you read the gospel Think about what it's saying and try and understand this is about him being able to save humanity. The only way. If he was just a man, what would he do? He'd be dying for his own sin. If he was just God, he says, no, there's, no, there's no need. There's, there's, there's no... There's no liaison, there's no integration between the people he loves and himself. He he was in human form, he walked the earth. John the writer, as I said at the beginning, walked with him, touched him, laid his head on his chest, ate with him. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, the mystery is that he's also God. John testified, oh sorry, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. He could have been full of anger, wrath. Grace and truth. This is our Jesus. John testified concerning him and he cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Yeah, that's straightforward, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll leave you with that one. 
Out of his fullness we've all received grace in place of the grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You could have had a relationship with God by keeping the Old Testament laws. Of course, the problem with the Old Testament laws was no one ever kept them. No one could keep them. They were there, for the essay question, they were there to show you that you couldn't keep them and therefore you needed saving. The Old Testament laws are God's standard. You and I can never keep it. So, that leaves us guilty. That leaves us in need of someone who can save us. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We'll finish on this verse. No one has ever seen God. And that's a strange passage because there are a few times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, where they seem to see God. Who are they seeing? Yeah, but we'll have to put it slightly different to be theologically correct. Come on, Michelle. The pre-incarnate Jesus. In other words, before he took on flesh, he clearly came to people, spoke to people, told them something, gave them directions, and yet they knew they were in the presence of God. And yet you've got to balance that. And the Old Testament, which says you can't see him. Who, who, who did he appear to? Right? Adam and Eve. We'll go with, you're right, but we'll go, we'll go with, with this one. In the Moses passage, which one were you thinking of? What did you say? <laughs> Sorry, Nissa. All right, okay. The, the burning bush. There we, are. we had the Jacob incident, yeah. The one I want to leave you with is this. The one Matt said. He appears to Adam and Eve, doesn't he, in the garden. Quite clearly does. In the garden, he walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Do you know what the first question God asked man? Now, listen to what Matt just said. The first question from God to mankind, where are you? Where are you? Because when they'd sinned, they go and hide from God. I'll leave you with this, look. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. First 17, 18 verses, pulling back a little, little curtain and giving us a glimpse of eternity and the Godhead. And the question that he says is this, where are you? Who do you say I am? Do you think Adam, well let's go the other way around, did God lose Adam? Do you think just because he hid behind a tree, God went, where's he gone? Wow, what a trick! So who, who was lost? Adam. Adam was lost. Yeah. But he's lost because God says, where are you? Before that happened, do you know what would have happened? God would have come down to walk in the garden with him 
and he would have fellowshiped with God. He would have walked along and God would have said to him, show me what you've done today, Adam. A bit like Cadus when I get home and she's been gardening. She gets me by the hand. And do you know those awful moments when you're thinking, what's she done? What's new? That's nice, love. It's been there six months. You know, It's one of those moments. But, but I, God wouldn't have messed up like I do. Adam would have gone along and said, look what I've done. I've built a pond. Look what I've done. Look at these flowers. Have you seen these, God? Ooh. But that didn't happen that day. The moment the relationship was fractured, Adam knew something had changed and he hid from God. All this, all this, all of this is about God coming to the people that he loves and restoring that day. Restoring back to what was lost that day. Isn't that brilliant? This is our God. I'll, I'll pray. Look, we, we move into the text. It's easier going forward because we begin to look at incidents in his life. We've got eternity to understand some of that. I can't possibly do it justice. I don't pretend to. But it doesn't have to whet your appetite. He came to earth because he loves us and has a plan for us, a calling for us. Father, I want to thank you for sending Jesus. We look at the words on the screen and in some ways they're so simple, a child can grab it, understand it, and in others they're so profound. Father, I pray you will take it, those words, and make them alive in our heart. I want to thank you for the gift of salvation, the gift of that means we can have a relationship with you. And I thank you, Lord, that you never let us go. I thank you that the writer of this gospel wasn't perfect. The one he wrote about is perfect. But the writer messed up just like we all do. I want to thank you that you are full of grace and truth. And love. Amen.